As the CXT-1000 has a radius of 37 miles, I knew I was never more than 30 minutes away from having my old life back. And this was a comfort, whether it sounds like one or not. Whenever I'd get depressed over the fact that L hadn't radioed yet, I'd reassure myself by speculating that her batteries had gone dead, or that perhaps she had forgotten the required channel number. This was folly, of course, as she was a lawyer and forgot precisely nothing, which was why I was living in a motel in the first place. Oftentimes, when I wasn't at the casino making matters worse, I'd drive up to the house and loiter around the neighborhood until she got home, at which point I'd tell her I was worried that her batteries might be dead, and she'd threaten to get a restraining order if I didn't leave the property immediately. This might have happened more than once, I should admit that. I should also admit that there might have been a couple of times where I checked on the state of the batteries myself and needed to go inside the house to do that. I was not snooping around, however, or at least I never intended to. It certainly wasn't my decision to store her handset in the same drawer she put her journal in. She did that on her own, and I'm not equipped with whatever set of characteristics make up the kind of person who would ignore that kind of thing once he stumbled on it. I'm sure there are guys like that out there, people who would just close the drawer without rooting around. But those are the guys who volunteered to join the military after 9-11, or became smoke jumpers, or members of Doctors Without Borders. Personally, I've never met a single one of those cats. There really can't be very many of them. On the day I finally heard the ksh I'd been waiting for, the dog and I were both asleep, like I said, and any euphoria I felt when I first heard the sound of the cobra was immediately extinguished by L's annoyed tone and refusal to use proper radio language. See, when we'd moved to Atlanta and L had started undergrad at Emory, We'd lived in a little apartment in a place called Cabbage Town and communicated with our neighbors via walkie-talkie. It started out as a cheeky birthday present we grabbed at Radio Shack for Kiki and Lou, the hippie couple who lived over the stained glass and pottery shop next door. And then it spread throughout the neighborhood in the way a gimmick like that can among young, carefree people to whom nothing has really happened yet. Within weeks, everyone in a three-block radius had handsets and a handle. If there was a dinner party being planned, or someone needed to borrow a shovel, or a pet had gone missing, you'd get a call on the walkie-talkie, instead of getting, say, a text like you would in a normal neighborhood scenario. Why does this matter? It matters because Elle knew the proper radio lingo. She knew to say over. And she wasn't saying over, which meant she wasn't calling to get back together. Which meant she had used the walkie-talkie to trick me which meant she was looking for the dog. Confronted with a clear dilemma, I did what came most naturally. Sat there and did nothing, and hoped for the situation to resolve itself on its own. This tactic worked about as well as it normally did. Shh! You have five seconds to call me, or I'm getting the restraining order. You copy that? Ten four. I finally answered. There was no getting around it, so I picked up the room phone, since my cell was dead and I had left my charger at dawn's. But first I looked at Bruce, locked eyes with him and sent him a message in the way you can with a dog you've had for a long time. Hey, you, listen to me, I transmitted. You are not here, okay? Be good, be good. I'm fucking serious. He rolled over on his back and waved a paw in the air and kept waving it until I grabbed it with my good hand. A cast was on the other and sniffed it. It was his only trick, and it wasn't much of a trick at all. Now, other golden retrievers actually engaged in worthwhile domestic endeavors, like 
fetching the morning paper, or even noble societal ones like leading the blind. Those dogs made some kind of significant effort to be more than animals, rise above their station in life. Not Bruce. His thing was having his paws sniffed. Why? Because Elle had been doing it ever since we picked him out in Ed and Kate Kinder's barn near Athens years before. And he had gotten used to it, that's why. She lifted him out of a litter of eleven and carried him over to me, announcing, This one's feet smell like Fritos. Every chance she got, she would grab his paws, sniff, and say, Still Fritos. And somewhere along the line, he developed a habit of rolling on his back and frantically waving his paws in the air until you sniffed them. It depressed me to no end. Not because it was ridiculous, which it obviously was, but because I wasn't around to watch Elle do it anymore, and doing it myself only served to accentuate my loneliness.